Welcome to New Hope and the teaching ministry of Pastor Randy Rainwater. Today, Grace New Hope's Executive Director, Sheba Saja, is teaching. The, the thing that I want you to take away is that love frees you. Love frees you. But how do we get there, especially with people we don't even like? Turn in your Bible now to Luke chapter 6. Here's Sheba. Good morning, everyone. No, it's a cold morning. Thank you guys for coming to church. It's going to be a good day. And I know last week was Valentine's Day. Maybe for some of you, it was Galentine's Day or Palentine's Day or whatever you want to call it. But it was about love. And I kind of want to continue on the theme of love this morning. And what's the best way to talk about love? I mean, ask your kids. So what I did is I had Spring make me a short video asking our kids um, who or what do they love. So let's take a moment to watch that before we go into the message. I love my mom and I love my bear called Bibi. Your bear called Bibi? Yeah. Nice. I sleep with her every night. Mm. Leon, <laughs> My mom, because she sometimes, like, in the mornings on Sundays, when we're, like, in a hurry, yeah. she, like, she'll make breakfast for me. I love my dad. I like Bobo and Maddie and my cousins and Emma and myself. I love everybody. I love everybody in the world. Dance. Show me some moves. Uh, banana. Or an excavator that has a bucket on the back that scoops up dirt. And like, do this. And there's a bucket right here and throw dirt. with kids. They're going to be very honest with you. They'll tell you what they love, what they don't like, um, and they're just always so adorable. But this morning, we're going to talk about love, and maybe in, in a way that you may not have heard about it before, okay? Um, because God calls us to love an unusual group of people. If you turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 6, we'll see who he's talking about. He calls us to love a group of people that we may feel no love towards at all, actually. Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 27. If you need a Bible, you can raise your hand and somebody will get you one. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who hurt you. Love your enemies. 
He didn't say like your enemies. He didn't say get even with your enemies. I mean, the least he could have done was say tolerate your enemies or ignore them. That would have made the most sense, right? But he says love your enemies. I mean, that, that's just totally absurd. Why would Jesus tell us to do that? What we're actually feeling is hatred or anger or bitterness. But he calls us to do the opposite of what we are feeling. So the first thing we have to do is identify who are our enemies? Who are the people in your life that have hurt you? Maybe it's something that happened a decade ago or it could have happened yesterday. Who are the people that are hard to love in your life right now? It could be a family member who betrayed you, an ex-husband or wife that you just don't get along with right now. It can be a friend who, in the end, didn't turn out to be a friend at all. Who are your enemies? And sometimes your enemies aren't like scary people who you have hatred or, or who have done anything to hurt you. Sometimes your enemy is simply somebody who doesn't share the same opinion as you. So you don't agree with them. Let me tell you something. I have heard story after story after story of how during this COVID season, in the past two and a half years, more enemies were created than friends. More families were torn apart because they don't see eye to eye on issues than people coming together. Why is that? Psalms 34 says, seek peace and pursue it. That we should always be making steps towards peace, making steps towards becoming friends with people, not gaining more enemies. And Jesus says, you gotta love those people. Gotta love them. But I can't do that, God. It's too hard. God, you don't understand the pain that I'm carrying. I can't do that. I don't want to because they've hurt me so deeply. And I wanna tell you, like, I'm not trying to to, uh, justify what anybody has done to you. I'm not saying what they did to you was okay, but we can't control other people's behavior. We can only control our response. God will hold them responsible for what they did to you, but he will also hold you responsible for how you respond, and he says, respond with love. And you might be thinking, okay, well, I don't feel love. How am I supposed to love this person when I don't feel or have any positive feelings of affection towards this person? So I wanna take some time to just to go into like, what does the Bible mean by love? Is it similar to kind of like the love that we talk about in our culture, in our day and time? Because we only have one word for love, that's love. That's why some of the kids said, I love my mom and I love bananas. You know, one thing holds more weight than the other. We know that. I hope that we do at least. But in the the, um, language that the Bible was written, in the New Testament, there are four words for love, four different words. And you would use these four words to talk about loving in, in different relationships. For example, 
If you're talking about love between a partner or a spouse or romantic love, you'd use the word eros. It's romantic or sensual love. Philia is used to talk about platonic love between friends and companions. And storge is used to talk about love between family members and relatives. So the words that Jesus uses when he says love your enemy is not these three words. It's something that's totally different. It's actually rarely used in other Greek literature. It's agape. So there's four words, eros, philia, storge, and agape. And agape is so different from all the other loves. Jesus uses this word more than he does than the others because agape is an unconditional love. It is love in the purest form. It's the love of Jesus Christ. When he came down from heaven to earth and he died on the cross, he agaped us. It's a costly love. And what makes agape different from all the other ones? is that it's not dependent on feelings. Agape is choosing to love whether you feel it or not. Agape is saying, I love you even when it's not convenient for me to love you. I love you when you're not even lovable. I love you even when you don't reciprocate love back to me. Agape is a costly love. Feelings come and go, but agape is love that persists. This is the kind of love that Jesus is talking about when he says, love your enemies, agape your enemies. R.C. Sproul, as I was like learning about agape and, and doing some research, I wanted to make, I, make sure I had a, a clear understanding of it before I explained it to you. And I stumbled upon this story that R.C. Sproul, who is a theologian, who shared. He said, there was a man, we'll call him Frank, and Frank goes to see his counselor. He tells his counselor, I wanna divorce my wife, I don't love her anymore. And the counselor looks up at him, kind of perplexed and says, that's a command. Jesus said, husbands love your wives, husbands agape your wives. What's interesting is he doesn't use the word eros, he uses the word agape. Husbands agape your wives, choose to love your wives. So it's not optional for you. You can't just decide not to love your wife. And um, Frank responds, he says, okay, I get what you're saying, but I just don't wanna live in the same house as her. Can we at least move out? And the counselor responds and says, okay, suppose that you move out and you move next door to her. Then she becomes your neighbor. And what does Jesus say? Love your neighbors, agape your neighbors. By this time, Frank is so mad because he is not getting the response that he would like to hear. He's not like, you know, the, the um, counselor's not necessarily sympathizing with him. And he, he gets so upset, he raises his tone and says, you don't get it. I can't stand my wife. I don't even wanna be in the same neighborhood as her. The counselor says, oh, I see, okay. He calmly responds and says, so you're saying you have feelings of hostility towards your wife, are you? Yes, that's correct. 
And would you regard her as your enemy then? Counselor, and Frank's like, I see where this is going. Yes, the counselor says, don't you know that Jesus says, love your enemies? See, there's really no way of getting around this. We're called to love all people because agape love transcends feelings. Agape love is a love that whether those feelings are there or not, it's choosing to love. Amen? Amen. Amen. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says, God demonstrates his own love, his own agape for us in this While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, while we were unworthy of receiving the love of God, he shows us that love, not because we deserved it, but because of his character. God is love. I love the way that Bill Bright says it. He says, agape love is given because of the character of the person loving rather than because of the worthiness of the person receiving that love. Agape love is given. That's deep. You gotta, this is something I want you to remember. Agape love is given because of the character of the person loving rather than because of the worthiness of the person receiving that love. This is something that is really important for us to understand. Because in our culture, a lot of times we've adopted a cultural view of love. And in our culture, love is really mixed in, intertwined with, and heavily dependent on feelings. So if I don't feel like I, if those feelings go away, then we also think we lost the love. And then we act on it and we show that person we don't love them. But Jesus is actually calling us to the opposite. He says, even when the feelings are there, aren't there, continue to love. Feelings are good indicators, not good dictators. Feelings can indicate where your heart is in that moment. They could be a warning sign of, okay, your love meter's down. Maybe this is going well. This is not really going well. But they are not good dictators. They're not supposed to force you or control your behavior or your actions. That's why when Jesus says love your enemies, it sounds so radical. Because the the culture tells us the opposite. The culture tells us to deal with conflict by Hey, if you punch me, I'm gonna punch you back. Don't let that kid get away with that. The culture tells us that if somebody does us wrong, we have to get even. But look what scripture says. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? for even sinners do the same. It's normal to love those who love you. It's normal to love your friends and hate your enemies. It's, it's the culture of the world. 
But Jesus says, I didn't come down here for you to just keep living the way that, that the world lives. I've called you to be different. I've established a kingdom culture. Follow my example. In this kingdom culture, you don't just love your friends. You also love your enemies. It's different. We're set apart. We're called to be holy. We're not called to be normal. And sometimes different is hard because you're swimming against the stream. You're swimming against the culture and it's not going to be easy, but it's the best. Amen. So what do you, what do you mean by love, God? That's what he means. Agape love. Agape your enemies. So how do we love our enemies? How do we love the people that are difficult to love? How do we love the people that have offended us? He says it in verse 27. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. Do good to those who hate you. You love with your actions. Bless those who curse you, pray for those who hurt you, and you love with your words. I wanna take some time just to go into these three things and practically what does it mean to do good to those who hate you? That doesn't mean that you just let, um, let everything go and, and allow yourself to, to be taken advantage of by other people. That does not mean that you don't protect yourself and your family and, and set boundaries. That does not mean that you allow cycles of violence and abuse to continue on in your life forever. No, we have to be wise. Love does not mean you just let somebody do whatever they wanna do. But instead, what it means is that you don't retaliate evil for evil. That when somebody hurts you, you don't go around and hurt them back. Because when you do that, that adds fuel to the fire and the fire get, just keeps getting bigger. The damage just, just keeps getting bigger until it's not even able to be contained anymore. That's why in Romans chapter 12, what does it say? Never pay back evil with more evil. Not even once. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Do all. Have you done it all? That you can to live in peace with everyone. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. The second way that we can love our enemies is to bless those who curse us. A lot of times, you know, cursing or speaking negatively about someone comes a lot more easier than trying to protect their reputation. To bless means to seek their well-being. To bless means to want God's best for them. And I know that's not easy. I'm not saying it is when every fiber of your being is like, do the opposite. Like, wait, you, you're calling me to bless them? It's not easy. It's easy to trash them. It's easy to take your, take your dirty laundry to social media and, and let everybody else in on it as well. It's easy to talk about it with everybody and vent. Hey, let me vent. Hey, can I, can I take a moment to vent about this? Hey, let me, it's easy to do those things. But instead, he calls us to bless 
There's something these days, it's called Twitter Wars. Do you guys, have you guys heard about it? Any young people in here? <laughs> I actually had to type it into Google and look up what it meant yesterday. But what it means is you, you take your drama to social media. People go back and forth arguing about certain things, and then they have a huge crowd that supports each, each side. Jesus says, when you have an offense against somebody, someone, take it to that person. Don't take it to the world. First, first seek peace with the individual privately. That's what we're called to do. And the third way that we love our enemies is we pray for them. That, that doesn't mean you pray something bad happens to them. <laughs> Doesn't mean you pray like they just have a bad day and like a bird flies over and poops on their head or something. No, don't do that. <laughs> pray something good. First, I would actually recommend that you would pray for yourself. Pray that God would open your eyes to see, am I in any way contributing to the conflict here? Sometimes we're like, I'm innocent. It's that person's fault. We just point all the fingers at that person. Do you know what? There's four pointing back at you. And we think that we're, we're, we're in the clear. We haven't done anything wrong. But when we pray and ask the Lord, hey, open my eyes to see, like, am I in any way contributing to this conflict? Am I in any way fueling the fire? Or am I pursuing peace with all my heart? And then after you do that, so check yourself first. And then after you do that, pray for those who hurt you. Pray that they would be able to recognize that God would open their eyes to see the damage that they're creating. Pray that they would experience the tremendous love of God and be drawn to repentance, drawn to salvation. Pray that they would be receptive to your love and eventually that, that God would bring reconciliation. Pray for those who hurt you. I remember when the Holy Spirit was um, kind of dealing with me about this issue regarding a broken relationship with a family member. And I felt like he wanted me to reach out to this person. I hadn't talked to her in years. And to be honest, I didn't wanna to talk to her because I was okay with the silence. I was okay with the distance. However, seek peace and pursue it. Am I actively taking steps towards peace? Am I actively seeking reconciliation? And the other reason that I didn't want to reach out to this person was I wanted her to reach out to me first. I didn't want to put myself in a vulnerable place where I could get hurt. So, you know, I kind of just pushed it aside. I was like, okay, maybe later. However, the Lord just kept reminding me over and over and over again, hey, I want you to pursue peace in this relationship. And I just started off, I have a prayer journal. It's actually my journal at the end of a prayer list and I wrote her name down and every time I would just pray, I, just let, I would just you know, speak her name out loud and it started with a simple prayer. I said, Lord, bless her. Bless her and her family. 
Did I want to say that? Not really. <laughs> but I did anyways. Lord, bless her and her family. Bless, I, um, just bless her life with joy. And I pray that you would use her for your kingdom and your glory. And I also pray that the Lord would, you know, soften her heart and make her receptive to when I was gonna reach out to her so that she would be ready as well. And a couple months passed, I kept putting the thought away, but like after five months, I finally built up the courage to reach out to her. I'm like, today's the day, I can't, I cannot keep letting this go on. So I sat down, I typed out a text message, I said, hey, I actually didn't even, to be honest, I didn't know what I was gonna say, and I didn't even know how I had wronged this person at all. But I, I started typing out that text and I said, hey, I know it's been a few years, just how are you doing? Hope you're doing well. I've been reading this passage of scripture and I just felt like I should ask you for forgiveness for any way I've offended you or wronged you. I'm sorry, I don't want there to be any tension between us, would love to meet with you in person then, you know, I erased the whole message, rewrote it, <laughs> erased it again, re reworded it, retyped it until like an hour passed. I was like, okay, stop. You just need to hit send now. I was like, I prayed. I was like, Lord, I commit this to your hands. You do what you do, want to do with it. I hit send. And in that moment, I'm telling you, I felt lighter. Just by hitting the send button, because I knew that I was being obedient to the, the voice of God, and also, I had broken the silence. I had done my part for now, and God, God no, whether she responds or not, that's up to the Lord. I've done my part, and she did respond, and uh, we, we caught up, we met up, and, and it, was just, it was good. It was actually better than I expected, and I know not everything turns out that way, but I remember leaving that meeting with her, just feeling so liberated, feeling so much lighter because there was a weight that I had been carrying for years. I didn't even know it until I let it go. There was a shame and a guilt that I had been carrying, thinking that I had done something wrong to deserve this silence, to deserve this distance. And this is the thing I want you to remember. The, the thing that I want you to take away from this whole sermon is that love frees you. Love frees you. Sometimes we think, God, why would you, why would you say love your enemies? That's so inconsiderate. That's insensitive. That doesn't make sense. I mean, God's not some jokester in heaven saying, love your enemies so I can, make, I can get a good laugh out of this to cause us more pain. No, it's good for you. It's good for you. Even though it may feel like you're losing. It might feel like you're losing because you're letting them get away with it. You're letting them off the hook. It may feel like you're losing because your ego is being crushed. 
and everything inside of you, your flesh is like, no, show them who's right, prove it to them. Get even with them, have the last word in this argument. Everything inside of you wants to be in control, wants to maintain that power and say, I'm right in this situation. I'm gonna have it my way. But in the end, you actually become the victim. You see, when you hold on to bitterness and anger and unforgiveness, you add fuel to the fire and the fire causes more and more damage. When you have those things in your life, you actually become an angry person. You become a bitter person. You become the victim. It puts you in chains. Somebody once told me, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and thinking the other person's gonna die. Actually, it's affecting you more than you know it. MLK says, Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Hate multiplies hate. Violence multiplies violence. And toughness multiplies toughness into a descending spiral of destruction. Ultimately, that's what happens. A descending spiral of destruction. But love, love, love does the opposite. Love frees you it does more for you than it does for the other person. That when you, when you learn to love, when you learn to pray for your enemy, when you learn to bless them and do good to them, it does more for you than it does for the other person. You're not letting that person go free. You're not letting them off the hook. God will deal with them. But instead, it's releasing you. Look at Joseph's life. Joseph. Man, he was betrayed by his brothers, right? He was thrown into a dungeon and then sold as a slave by his own family members. And for 13 years, he lived as a slave. But one day, God said, Joseph, I've seen your faithfulness. I've seen how you forgive. I know your character, so I'm gonna take you and put you second in command. And because of that, his brothers were now before him. Joseph could have thrown them in prison. Joseph could have executed all of them. Joseph could have gotten re revenge and it would have been okay. But he chooses to forgive. It says he wept and he hugged them. And he told them to bring, bring my father with you as well. I have a place for you, I'll give you land. At the end of his life, what does Joseph say? You intended to harm me, but God turned it around for good. Don't let somebody steal your destiny because when you hold on to those things, God, there's a lid on your life. God can't use you to your maximum potential. God wants to develop you and shape your character, but he wants us to get to the place where he can trust us with power, trust us to know what we will do even when people hurt us. He can turn it around for good as he does. God will work all things out for good for those who love them, love him, and are called according to his purpose. Verse 33 says, once again, Jesus knows, he says, love your enemies. 
do good to them. And he continues to say, then your reward from heaven will be very great. And you will truly be acting as children of the most high. For he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. Then you will be acting as your father in heaven. The way that we respond either, you know, helps our witness or harms our witness. It shows the world who our heavenly father is. There's people who may never step foot in the church and you are the only light that they encounter. And you can show the character of Christ. I'll have the band come up and I just wanna close with this one story. One of my heroes of faith, her name is Corey Ten Boom. And she was a Holocaust survivor. I actually read, there's people's books that I read every year over and over and over again because they've been through some hard things and they still stayed committed to Christ. I wanna do the same. So I wanna keep my, the fire going in my life. I want to stay inspired. If they can do it, I can do it as well. So I, I, I always read her books every year. And um, after she, if you don't know her story, her family was taken to a concentration camp because, not because they were Jews, but because they hid Jews. And in that concentration camp, her dad died, her sister died, and a number of other family members. But miraculously, she was released. And after she was released, she chose to forgive and she toured the world. She went around the world sharing her story, her experience, and talking about the love of God. And she talks about one time when she was in Germany, at the end of her message, this older man comes walking towards her and, and he says, you mentioned Ravensbrück in your talk. Ravensbrück was the name of the concentration camp that she was at. I was a guard there. So she had remembered who he was. He was one of the most cruel guards there. When her sister was weak and, and just skin and bones, he continued to mistreat her and abuse her sister until she eventually died, her sister Betsy. And this guard, she knew who, who he was, but he didn't know who she was. There was thousands of inmates there, thousands of people there. And he said, but since that time, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there. And I would like to hear it from your lips as well. And he stretched out his hand and said, will you forgive me? That's the moment of truth right there. And she said, and still I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. There was this coldness. She spoke all around the world about forgiveness, but in that moment to act, there was a resistance, a coldness in her heart. And she says, but forgiveness is not an emotion. It's not a feeling. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so 
Woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out in front of me. And as I did this, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulders, raced down my arms, sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole body, bringing me to tears. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all of my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known the love of God so intensely as I did then. Only God can do something like that in your life. This love that I've spoken about is so different than what the world has to offer. It's not dependent on a feeling. It's the love of God, what he has done for you, the example of his life on the, on the cross, that costly love, and he calls us to do the same. Maybe there's some of you in here who you've been holding on to something for a very long time. Could have been a decade. It could have been something that happened to you as a child. Or maybe it's just something that happened last week and you're not able to shake it off or let it go and forgive that person. In the spirit of God, at the, in this moment, or has been speaking to you for a long time, saying, hey, forgive, love, pray, bless. Don't take revenge. It says in Romans, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay. Let the Lord repay. You do your part. You be free. God is calling you to freedom. God wants to lift that burden and that load off of your life. God wants to use that pain to bring something good out of it. If the Spirit of God is reminding you of that this morning, I just want to say be obedient. It's for your good, it's for His glory. Something good will come out of it. So let's just pray. Let's surrender right now. Lord, here we are before you. Thank you, God, that even when we were sinners, Christ died for us. That when we were not worthy of it, we didn't deserve it. It is because of your character. You are love. That you paid the price for us. And now you're calling us to do the same for other people. You're, you may be putting someone... Um, someone's name in, in, in our minds or, or a, the picture of a person is coming to our mind and you're saying, hey, release. Let it go. Per seek peace and pursue it. But it's hard, God. That person just caused me too much pain. God, I can't. God, I don't want to. It's for your good. He wants to set you free this morning. He wants you to not be the victim anymore. He wants to bring something good out of it. So Lord, we just release that to you right now in Jesus' name. God, we trust you. We trust your word. We know that when you say something, it's for our best. 
And I pray that out of a broken relationship, out of the grave, that a garden would bloom. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. I'm Myrna Brown.